What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show here, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, February the 17th, 2020, episode number two, President's Day edition. There's some racing going on here, obviously, on this Monday. I'm not going to be able to cover those races. Those will probably be part of next week's show. But uh, for the time being, we're going to take a look at the things that happened this past weekend. Big racing down at the fairgrounds, big racing up at Golden Gate Fields, and some other three-year-olds that perhaps... I don't want to say slid under the radar, but we were all focused on the stakes races. There were some other really interesting performances across the country, many of them being three-year-olds, both male and female. So we'll dive into some of those as well. Uh, these are going to be smaller segments this week. We're still working on some things, ironing the kinks out of it a little bit here, getting back into the swing of things here for episode number two, part of the In The Money Media Network. Um, so bear with me, but I think we're I think we're going to start to find that rhythm sooner than later. So uh, off to a good start. Those of you that listened to the first show, thank Thank you so much. Uh, those of you that commented on the YouTube channel, thank you as well. Uh, I will at least go over one, maybe two of those questions at the very end of this show. So uh, definitely any kind of feedback, always welcome either beneath the video player on YouTube or right over to me directly on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. So as I alluded to, uh, a few different things that we'll go over this week, but we're going to kick things off with the big ones down at the fairgrounds. We'll touch on both divisions of the Risen Star, as well as the Rachel Alexander for the three-year-old Phillies. Let's get into it. Let's kick things off with Division 1 of the Risen Star down at the fairgrounds this past weekend. Keep in mind, both divisions of the Risen Star this year award 50 points to the winner. So essentially, Mr. Monomoy and Modernist, assuming they are healthy in the connection C the race being fit for them, they're in the starting gate for the Kentucky Derby. I can't imagine 50 not being good enough to get in there. So these two horses have essentially locked themselves into the starting gate the first Saturday in May. With Mr. Monomoy, he gets the job done at a juicy, juicy price for Brad Cox and company. He goes off at seven and a half to one. So you're looking at a nice mutual of what, about 16 bucks when it's all said and done, $17 even actually. Um, I liked everything about this race from him. He was much more mobile. Not that he's a horse that's been sort of pace dependent in the past, but boy, he was able to get right up in there. I thought Florent Giroux did a really nice job kind of getting him into the run immediately and saying, you know what, let's go on with it and show a little bit of early speed and perhaps a, a new dimension to a horse going this far. And the way that he finished throughout, I thought it was encouraging enough. You know, I guess the first thing we need to touch on or, or bring up anyway is the idea that I saw a lot of people when I was on air on Saturday and then even when I was done with the morning line talking about the perceived inside speed bias at the fairgrounds. Well, there's two pieces to this entire thing. First things first, on dirt, speed is always what you want to have. You're always better off being forward on dirt than you are coming from off of it. I, I don't care what track it is. Speed on dirt is your friend. Inside is typically the shortest way around the racetrack. Why not put those two together? I mean, this is not rocket science. For the most part, there's a reason you see races, one, on dirt, more forward than coming from way out of it, as opposed to turf racing because they are run entirely different. Dirt races are run going unbelievably fast early, and it's just a progressive slowing down. No one is actually running faster at the very end. I shouldn't say no one. It is incredibly unlikely, and it happens very, very rarely that someone's actually running faster on dirt at the end of the race than at the beginning. They're typically all slowing down. It's just a matter of how much faster are you slowing down than everyone else. Conversely, on turf, for the most part, the races run completely opposite. 
where you are going very, very slow early and is genuinely a sprint home. And that's when they do their best running. That's when they run the fastest that they can is down the lane. Having said all that, a race like this where Mr. Monomoy is able to go out there and dictate the fractions, people probably immediately look at this and then you couple that with modernist victory in the next race and they say, oh, well, speed bias down on the inside is where you want it to be. Well, again, speed is inherently a good thing on dirt, but especially with this first division, you can't really say that there's a speed bias when Mr. Monomoy goes out there and wires the field, but then your runner up at the half mile is in eighth, your third place finisher is in fifth, and your fourth place finisher is in 10th in the field of 11. And by the way, the second and fourth place finishers were not close to the front. Enforceable was at least mid-pack, but Farmington Road was 100 out of it. So if it was truly a speed-friendly track, those two horses would not have had any chance. They just wouldn't have. doesn't matter how tired everyone else in front of them would have been. The track would have carried them along. For them to rally the way that they did, and by the way, they both happened to rally outside. I know Enforceable made his move down the backside inside toward the rail, but the point is, they, they both carry quite a bit of ground in a race like this. So the inside speed bias, to me, is kind of a non-starter. I don't, I don't believe there was any bias at the fairgrounds on Saturday afternoon. Biases are very subjective. I, I'd be curious to know what any of you think. Let me know, either beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Do you agree or disagree that there was or wasn't a speed bias or an inside bias at fairgrounds? I think the track was perfectly fair on Saturday afternoon. Mr. Monomoy goes out there, cuts out the fractions, 24 and 1, 48 and 2, 12 and 4 for three quarters, stop the clock in 50 and 2, a very nice buyer speed figure at this point in the year, a 92, a raw 111 time form US rating, brought it up in the past, usually about a 20 point differential uh, between the raw time form rating and the buyer speed figure, if everything is sort of, if, if, if both figure makers are looking at things the same way, if there's no real discrepancies, that checks out for the most part right here. Uh, I thought this was a big effort from this horse. You know, and the fact that he didn't slow down the way that he was finishing, you take a look at the final eighth of a mile, he got his final eighth according to DRF Formulator in 1278. It's very comparable and very competitive with some of the horses that were coming from farther off of it. So I thought this was a really nice effort from Mr. Monomoy, a horse that you definitely want to be taking seriously, not only on that path throughout Louisiana, but I think for that first Saturday in May as well. Uh, enforceable, he continues to run well. He's a nice horse. He is not flashy. He's not the sexy type, but he's just going to run all day. That's the way it looks anyway. Uh, he's a long-winded type, doesn't have a ton of early foot, but he will just stay out distances. That should work to his advantage. The problem is, again, on dirt, if you're coming from that far back, you're going to need to show a little bit of a new dimension. I did like that Julian Leperu was able to make as big a move down the backside as he was to get him into sort of a mid-pack position as opposed to having to come from way out of it. All in all, I thought this was a fine effort from Enforceable. No reason to discount him going forward. I think if they show up in the Louisiana Derby, he'll be a player there. And for the Kentucky Derby, I'd like him to, to run a little bit faster. But look, again, for a February horse to be earning an 88 buyer and a 108 time form U.S. rating, I think he's fitting in here quite nicely. Silver State, not going to really touch on him. The only other horse that I'm going to touch on, and, and this is just going to be the nature of these videos for the most part, I'm only going to touch on horses that I think either have excuses or I think could potentially figure down the road in some of these big races. Uh, I want to touch on the fourth place finisher, Farmington Road for Todd Pletcher. Javier had the mount here. Uh, this horse in a mile and an eighth race on Saturday afternoon, I think he probably ran a mile and a quarter to potentially 11 furlongs. I mean, he was... What did I have written down in my notes here? I have four path down the front side, four path 
toward the rear first turn four five path down the backside uh, going into the far turn he's out five six path turning for home he's nearly 10 path and he finished very well he galloped out strong and when you look at it and you go through and you look at the incremental splits he actually had the fastest final eighth of a mile in this race at 1242 that compares very favorably to enforceable and i get it enforceable got the jump on him but the point is carrying as much ground as farmington road did this was his first start shipping against i'm gonna say legitimately top level runners uh, i don't want to take anything away from some of the other horses he ran against this is his first time against winners he broke his maiden most recently at Tampa, and he was much closer to the pace. So I'm a little bit unsure what kind of running style we're going to get. Was he forward, more forward by default at Tampa because it was only a six-horse field, and he was just better than those horses? Because his first two starts of his career came from way out of it, as he did on Saturday. If he's going to have that sort of running style, I think he's going to be up against it in many races. But if, if Todd can somehow get a little bit more speed out of this horse... I, I thought this was an encouraging enough effort first time against winners uh, shipping to another new track. He's run four times and he's run at four different venues. I, I think Farmington Road, maybe he's not going to be the top flight as far as the Pletcher camp is concerned, but I think there is some ability here for this horse. So maybe he's one that you want to keep an eye on going forward. But all in all, I have no knocks about really any of the top three or four, but especially the winner, Mo Mr. Monomoy. I thought this was a really nice effort and something that we can certainly build on going forward toward the Louisiana Derby. Division two of the Risen Star, I don't really have much to speak about. Modernist gets the job done for Bill Mott and Junior Alvarado at odds of 12 to 1. Uh, he goes out there, presses the pace early on, down on the inside, and is able to just sort of assert himself and outstay everyone, in my opinion. And I can see this race being the race that makes people look at it and say, oh, well, there must have been a bias. There must have been a bias. Uh, frankly, I just don't think the field was all that good. Uh, we spoke about how that first division felt like it was definitely a little bit more meat and potatoes than the second division was. Um, a horse like Modernist, I've been a fan of since I saw him break his maiden uh, last month at Aqueduct. And I thought this was an interesting position, uh, a vote of confidence that Mott and company wanted to try a graded stakes race for his first try against winners and ship him out of town. When I look at him with his running style, for what it's worth, the fractions 24 and 1, 48 and 2, 12 and 3, 51 and 1. It's the time he stops the clock, and I, I look at this and say perhaps he's more of a Belmont Stakes type. Uh, I, I've spoken about it, and I know last year Sir Winston came back to bite me and anybody else that thinks this way in the rear end, but the idea is typically the Belmont is a stayers race, but horses that have a little bit of tactical ability that can be into the run early and just kind of grind everyone down. I look at a horse like Modernist, and that's what I see. I don't know that he has that brilliance or that sort of you know, right now, the raw ability. I, I don't know that he's a, a Kentucky Derby type. It's too early to definitively say one way or the other. I still like the horse. I think there is something here. I just don't know that he's a Derby type. To me, the Belmont could be the great equalizer at a mile and a half. He'll just, he'll just keep going. And he has the ability to get into the race a little bit earlier than some of these other runners. So I thought it was a fine effort. Worked out for me. I cashed a couple of tickets, but in the grand scheme of things, I look at this field and I go, eh, Anodor, do with this what you will. He was wide. He was uh, a little bit off of it. I, you know, I, clearly it wasn't a good effort, but this was also first time with the blinkers on. Maybe that experiment goes away, but he does kind of feel like a horse that maybe he does need blinkers when it's all said and done because those two other races, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as well as the Low South Futurity, he comes up right to the throat latch 
of horses and he just doesn't doesn't quite go by so who knows uh, and also keep in mind this is his first start since the beginning of december maybe you want to give him the benefit of the doubt for this one also first start outside of california so a number of things that Anno Dora was trying for the first time uh, modernist though he gets the job done here uh, the speed figures again kind of uninspiring or uh, 84 buyer speed figure 103 raw time form rating so again they kind of check out it felt like the figures at fairgrounds on saturday were pretty straightforward there didn't seem like there was any wild variations as far as times are concerned or anything like that i feel like all the figures uh for at least these two figure makers i, I can't speak about any other figure makers um they seem to be relatively straightforward so uh, modernist will see where the next step is for him if it's not the louisiana derby maybe it's somewhere else but uh when it's all said and done i think he's a nice horse Certainly needs to continue to improve, uh, but for me, he, he does. He feels more like a Belmont Stakes type than a Kentucky Derby type right now. That could easily change after his next start. The Rachel Alexandra earlier on the card, not, not too much earlier. It was race 11 out of 13, and then the final two divisions of the Risen Star, they ran in 12 and 13 on Saturday at the fairgrounds. Featured three-year-old Phillies, featured the return of the two-year-old champion, uh, the Philly champion anyway, British Idiom. She makes a return to the races for Brad Cox. Unfortunately, it is in a losing effort. She cannot get to finite going out for Steve Asmussen and Ricardo Santana Jr. I, I thought, you know, from a number standpoint, from a time standpoint, this was a really nice effort from finite. Uh, I like the way that she moved throughout. I thought all in all, this was a, a nice positive step forward for her she was in the clear three four path basically throughout uh, i like the way that she just loomed up on the far turn and was able to put the field to bed i loved everything about it until the wire and right at the wire and this is me being nitpicky and and again do with this what you will whether you agree with me you disagree with me i hated that she popped to her left lead at the wire and british idiom did the exact same thing now, I'll give British Idiom a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because this was her first start since, what, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, since the beginning of November. Finite had a start under her belt. She ran four, three and a half, four weeks ago. So for her to do that, a little concerning for me. With British Idiom, I, again, I'm not going to hold it against her. First start off, she was chasing a nice horse, came from a little bit farther off of it. Um, I, I thought this was a nice starting off point, especially when you consider the trip. For British idiom. I don't think this was a, a piece of cake for her at all. Uh, she was floated a little bit wide going into the first turn, about five, six path. Rounding the first turn, I had her written down as four, five path. She's in kind of a similar position throughout down the backside, a little bit closer uh, rounding the far turn. But then she's about four, five path coming for home. And I, I like the way that she finished. She tried. She couldn't get to finite. But again, I'm not going to hold it against her that she couldn't run down a sharp horse. And this is her first start off of a lengthy layoff. She had that long stretch to deal with at the fairgrounds. And maybe I should be a little bit kinder to finite as well because you do have that extremely long stretch run. Still not something I love to see from either of them. But with British Idiom, I understand. She didn't really run any faster this time around than she has a two-year-old. But for her first start, I think this was nothing more than a means to an end. She, she was far from, th this is not the goal for these connections. Goal for these connections is going to be that first Friday in May with the Kentucky Oaks. This is a means to an end. I thought this was a fine effort given the wide trip, given the lengthy layoff, given her trying to run down a nice horse in finite. Uh, both of these girls, I think, are going to figure prominently in this division. Again, it's just me being nitpicky about the lead change thing. And it, literally, it happened at the wire and i'm finite may have been a jump after the wire and british idiom at the wire so i mean we're, we're talking i'm really splitting hairs here 
but it is still just an observation. And that's what, for me anyway, this podcast is all about observations. Do with them what you will. If it does, if you don't care about lead changes, then completely disregard this. If that's the case, both of these Phillies, really, really nice. I think they're both really nice in general. But just, I'm hopeful next time out, we don't see that same thing. I'm hopeful they stay on the right lead until they get in there for the gallop out and then pop over. But all in all, I thought both of the girls were in big races, finite and British idiom. Uh, from a number standpoint, finite earns a 90 buyer speed figure and a 108 raw time form rating. British idiom, an 82 buyer speed figure and a raw 101 time form rating. So uh, all in all, I have no knocks about either of these top two. I think they deserve all the accolades and all the credentials and the talk that they're going to get in the pub. Uh, and they could very well be two of the top three-year-old Phillies here in 2020. We're going to lump the El Camino Real Derby in with some of the three-year-olds that maybe you just want to make note of because the El Camino Real Derby, you know, spoke about it on TVG this weekend. The idea that, yes, there are 10 derby points. Yes, it's an automatic birth to the Preakness, but the winner, Azul Coast for Bob Baffert. Baffert even said it. Maybe this is going to be a nice horse that develops over the second half of the year. The figure came back, only a 74 buyer. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, he's perched out in the clear throughout, was able to go off and do things pretty professionally and galloped out nicely, considering it's at a mile and an eighth this early in the year. I mean, you look at that as a positive, but he's just, I think he's a far cry from the A, B, or even C string for the Baffert Barn right now. Maybe he's a horse that you keep an eye on going forward. But as far as sort of immediate impact, I, I don't see that really happening for Azul Coast, who won the El Camino Real. As far as some other three-year-olds, and this is something that maybe I'll just keep an eye on going forward, and it doesn't have to just be three-year-olds, but this week as sort of a, a, the first time I'll do this, that's what I'll stick to. Um, some horses that may have gotten lost in the shuffle if you weren't just locked in all day on Saturday uh, to a number of different tracks, really coast to coast, uh, and then including a couple on Sunday as well. Uh, Ain't No Elmers was a first-time starter for Brett Calhoun down at the fairgrounds on Saturday afternoon, and, and she took a ton of money early on, and she ran to that money because she went out there, did everything very, very professionally, looked good out on the racetrack. Uh, if you're curious about her pedigree, she is a three-year-old filly by Golden Sense out of an arch mare. Like I said, went right to the top, did everything pretty professionally, and and earned some decent enough figures for a first-time stutter, a 74 buyer speed figure, and a 98 time form US rating. Over at Gulfstream Park, unfortunately, the rains came in a major, major way. But the third race featured a horse that I was really taken by his second lifetime start. First start off of a long layoff. That was, I believe, Pegasus Saturday. Horse called attachment rate for Dale Romans. That day, two starts back, rallied from way off of it, never changed leads, probably would have, in my opinion, gotten closer had he actually changed the leads and got the job done. He couldn't quite get to market analysis at 50 to 1. He comes back in a driving rainstorm on Saturday afternoon, and while he doesn't change leads again, which is a concern, I love that he made a really significant move down the backside to get closer. There was a 100 to 1 shot that went out there and set just a ridiculous pace. But the fact that this horse was able to move up the way that he did into contention right away down the backside and then just completely blitz the field, I thought that was a very encouraging effort. And this is a horse that continues to improve. Uh, and from a speed figure standpoint, this was a nice effort as well. Very interesting, though. This is one of those where it is a little bit of a I don't want to say polarizing, but you as a handicapper need to make a determination what you think, which figure of these two anyway. Again, I can't speak for Thorograph or Ragazin or uh, I use a program called HTR. I can't speak to any of those. But Buyer had the race as an 88 buyer. Timeform US had it as a raw 102. And I only use the raw numbers for Timeform US. I, I'll factor in the pace situation the way that I want to, but I use the raw numbers. 88 buyer 102 Timeform US rating. That's not that 
20 point differential that I'm usually looking for. So either one is a little bit high or one is a little bit low, or maybe they're both a little bit off. But um, I just think this is an interesting horse. He's got to be a little bit more professional, but this was definitely an impressive effort here. Uh, Governor Morris, he ran on Friday afternoon at Tampa Bay Downs. His first start as a three-year-old. Hadn't seen him since the Breeders' Futurity. I thought he ran really well that day, considering Maxfield, the horse that beat him, in many people's eyes, he was going to be sort of the, the big horse as far as the Breeders' Cup Juvenile was concerned. So, oh, wow. Look at this. Siri's talking to me in the midst of this thing. We'll carry on. Governor Morris, I thought he ran really, really well that day in the Breeders' Futurity. Uh, he was gone since then, and his return came on Valentine's Day. It was the spot that Pletcher has used time and time again with some of his big horses in recent memory. Bring him back at Tampa Bay Downs, bring him back in an allowance race, have Johnny V ship across the state from Gulfstream to Tampa for this one mount and go out there and get the job done. Now, it may not have been the flashiest performance. I loved everything about this race from Governor Morris. I thought he needed to work hard. He certainly wasn't cranked up. And yes, now you need to plan accordingly. You got to get your points in that next, that next prep run. But boy, I loved everything about this race. I thought he leveled off nicely. He's going to be a tighter, better version next time out. Uh, for the numbers, 88 buyer, 113 time form US rating. So again, another one where they're a little bit off. Either one's a little high or one's a little low or vice versa. I thought this was just a really, really solid return effort. And he's a horse that I'm all of a sudden very, very high on. I thought this was a great effort. His pedigree, if you're interested, he's by Constitution, who is just red hot right now, and out of an unbridled song mare named Addison Run. Uh, I didn't mention the pedigree for attachment rate, if you are curious. Uh, he is by Hardspun out of an Afleet Alex mare. So he's another one that you would think two turns isn't going to be much of an issue. Uh, let's move on to Laurel back on Saturday. Dreams Untold ran in the Miracle Wood. Dreams Untold was bet down to 7 to 10 odds. And I mean... I said as we were watching the race as it was happening live, he stumbles down to his nose. And I said, well, he's out of the race. The favorite's gone, and that's a wrap. Spots the field about 20 lengths for John Service. Irad had the mount, and he makes this wicked run down the backside, rounding the far turn, actually gets within, what, maybe a length and a half of the lead? Looks like he's got a chance. There was no way he was going to be able to sustain that bid. This is the ultimate test of, you know, the, the racing adage, well, there, there's no such thing as a trip in a slow race. I, would the race have been that slow if Dreams Untold had not basically fallen down to his nose? Now, keep in mind, this is three starts in a row, all three of his lifetime starts, that he's been a little bit unkind at the gate. So we're going to have to work on that from a professionalism standpoint. But my goodness, for a horse to be able to make a run like that, there is he, he exudes ability there's talent there we just got to find out if he can get his mind right a little bit i'm going to be curious to see where he comes back his pedigree the pedigree of dreams untold he's a three-year-old gelding by smarty jones out of seattle slew mare how old is that mare if if her sire was seattle slew dreams untold maybe one to keep an eye on uh we move back to as i drop my mouse be right back all right we move on to sunday I thought this was a nice debut score for Remanded, who is a first-time starter for Cherie DeVoe. Uh, the, the speed figure is not going to wow you, only a 69 buyer, but I just really liked everything about it. For me, the big piece was the, the middle move 
The horse broke toward the rear of the pack for a first-time starter, not to be unexpected. But boy, that, that just blitz that she put in rounding the far turn. I thought it was a really, really eye-catching move. A little bit late with the lead change on the green side. Again, I'm not going to hold that against her. This, to me, could very easily be sort of the beginning of something better down the road. She's a little bit light to consider her maybe for a stakes race in her next start. She only earned a 69 buyer, but... You're kind of at the, in that weird position right now. What do you want to do? Do you really want to burn through another condition? Or if you're really intent on trying to make a race like the Eight Bells or the Kentucky Oaks, you kind of have to force the issue. Uh, for me, I wouldn't mind if she went through an allowance race. But at the same time, you know, the connections will do what's right by this horse. I think she's an interesting filly. Another one maybe to throw in some sort of a stable, mo uh, stable watch or horse watch or horse mail, whatever the heck service you're going to use. Uh, this filly's pedigree, she is by elusive quality out of a Dixie Union mare. And the last one to speak of, as far as horses are concerned, uh, well, I guess we saved the best for last, didn't we? Out on the West Coast on Sunday afternoon, Bob Baffert unveiled an absolute monster named Charlatan. Uh, Charlatan, for what it's worth, cost $700,000 at the Keeneland September 2018 sale. He is by Spitestown out of the graded stakes winning mare Authenticity, who she did her best running going a little bit longer. Uh, Charlatan debuted at six furlongs and he earned a 105 buyer speed figure. Um, I believe Brad Free from the Daily Racing Form tweeted for perspective's sake that is a point faster than Justify debuted. Uh, when you watched Charlatan, hair slow out of the gate, but again, for a first time starter, not the end of the world very easily moved up, cleared off to the lead. I think Drayden gave him maybe one crack of the stick at the top of the lane. He finished like a freight train and galloped out enormous. Um, you know, everybody's been talking about Nadal. Ever see that uh, that meme of, of the guy and his girlfriend and there's another girl that walks by and everybody kind of puts the names. I feel like this is appropriate for, for one of these where, you know, everybody is with Nadal and then all of a sudden, oof. There goes Charlatan. Uh, I just, it's, uh, uh, there was a, a sparkling debut. And if the horse, again, pedigree wise, I don't think there's any reason to think that he couldn't stretch out in distance, but you've got to assume some sort of a graded stakes race is next for him. A stretch out in distance. This was a dynamite performance uh, from Charlatan in the Bob Baffert barn. Again, a 108 buyer speed figure. He literally could be anything. Well, let's end things this week. And maybe this will be sort of an ongoing segment uh going forward, uh, depending on how much content there is leading into it. Maybe it's one question, two questions, three questions or comments, whatever it may be. Uh, I'll go back to the week prior, whether it's a Twitter question or on the YouTube channel, uh, and just kind of go over something that somebody brings up to me. So uh, the first one from this uh, was posted on the YouTube channel by Sean O'Brien. Uh, the question or the comment from Sean was, you used to go over your win percentage for your football picks and beating 52.4% to turn a profit on 10% juice. What are your thoughts on tracking and showing percentages and ROIs for picks on a show like this? Do you think others that do picks slash touts are true to their on-air wagers? Are they more aggressive? Are they more conservative? Uh, from your vantage point, how much accountability is there behind those picks? Do people ever lose jobs or feel ashamed, emotionally affected when things aren't going their way? Uh, by the way, this is not trying to be a shot at you or anything like that. I'm just curious what things look like from behind the curtain. Thank you first for the question in the comments, Sean. Um, yeah, I can I can dive into that a little bit from a from this show anyway, because of the timing of it, it's going to be more looking back on what happened as opposed to going forward. So there won't really be a ton of picks on this program. But as far as 
Twitter is concerned, as far as TVG is concerned, whenever I make appearances over there, uh, there's something else in the pipeline that may or may not come to fruition. If it does, I'm certainly one that I'll, I'll continue on and I'll show you as far as whatever public picks are put out there, we can keep track of and going forward from a, a win ROI standpoint as well as uh, across the board ROI is concerned. I can only speak for myself. Whether it's TVG or when I was working at the racing form or anything I do with NBC, anything I put out there, it's genuinely stuff that I'm going to be playing because I'd feel kind of, I, I would feel bad if I was putting out something that I had no interest in playing. And I think maybe you've seen that in this, this second little run with TVG where rather than putting out a multi-race bet every single day, uh, I've tried to play more of, and I know a double is technically a multi-race bet, but I've, I've played smaller things as opposed to just putting out pick fives and pick fours all the time because I, frankly, I, I don't always love a pick four or a pick five sequence. And I know at the end of the day, it's a business and all entities need to put content out there. So, you know, if I'm asked to put out something, I'll put it out there. There's also the difficult piece where for me with a pick four or a pick five, in all likelihood, if I'm playing it and I'm seriously playing it, I'm probably playing more than one ticket, which again, doesn't really work for a situation like TVG, where the idea is we just want to have that one ticket out there. We can go over it, talk about it, each of the legs, and then, you know, again, sort of direct you over to the website and you can either play that ticket or make amends to it or do, do whatever you want to do. Amendments, not make amends. Um, so for me, I only try to put things out there that I'm going to play. Now, I can't speak for other folks that are involved in the business, uh, but I can. I do know a few other people that feel the same way that I do as far as prolonged losing streaks and things of that nature. It, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it does beat you up, especially because, and it, it's not, this is not meant to be a complaint, but the nature of the beast is with social media, it, it's an easy way to interact with people, but it's also an easy way for people to just start throwing throwing you know what at you and and for long prolonged sort of losing streaks uh that can definitely kind of wear on you a little bit i know it does for me um it has for some of my other friends and i'm not going to name names but i know there are there are more people that i think you would you would think initially and perhaps it wouldn't be the people that you would think that it does sort of it wears on you because and it's like anything else I guess it would be if if your whatever your profession is, if if the public got to watch you do your work day to day and if there was a, a great day, people, everybody was patting you on the back. That's the great side of it. There's a bad day and then everybody comes to criticize you. That's that's the negative of it. So it's just part of the territory. We all know that in this this business. Um it's just it, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. You take the good with the bad. You know that when things go well and you do something well, you give out a good pick, you give out a winning wager. Everybody's going to come pat you on the back. When you go on any kind of a prolonged losing streak, they're all going to say you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And then at the same time, you're going to have people that that are fans of yours and people that aren't fans of yours. And that's just it is what it is. It's it's part of the deal. And um, but yes, yeah, some days are definitely easier than others. And one of the things that definitely for me was a transition when I made the move to this becoming my job was the idea that, you know, I have times where if I'm really ice cold and I think I, I would be one of the first people to admit, I feel like I am as streaky as it gets. When, when I start, when I catch a heater, I can, I can start popping off some big prices left and right. When I'm cold, I, I can, I can get a two to one shot beat by 15 lengths. So I, I recognize that 
I tend to be more interested in going back and trying to find and sort of analyze these races, situations like this, where we can go back and say, this trip didn't work out, this did, where are these horses going to go next? That to me is a little bit more interesting than the sort of the day-to-day piece of, you know, oh, well, you know, in the third race at Aqueduct, you completely missed on that maiden 25 claimer uh, for New York Brides. Well, I did, but, you know, I I don't know what to tell you. There were 15 other things going on all at the same time. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, there, there are, everyone is, has their emotions involved and some folks are better at handling them than others, than internalizing things than others are. And, uh, like I said, when the going is good, it's really good. And when it's going a little bit slower, yeah, it can get a little bit difficult and you get beat down a little bit, but, um, you know that when you sign up for the job, it's, it's part of the territory. So, uh, you hope that there are more winning periods than losing periods and tying it back to the first part, as far as tracking things, uh, perhaps going forward, any, any, let's put it this way, the multi-race wager, since I typically, uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm mostly a win place kind of player. I will occasionally dabble with the multis, whether it's a pick three, a pick four, pick five. Uh, I will definitely play more doubles. I don't, I don't really consider a double a multi-race bet. I know technically it is, but I just look at that and say it's, you know, it's two races as opposed to five. I look at a five or a pick six as a, that's a multi-race bet. A daily double is just a couple of them. Um, but going forward, let's, let's agree to this part. Anything as far as a pick is concerned. So if you see, if I'm on TVG and it shows top pick, or uh, if I tweet out a horse that I, as a pick, um, or if it's on NBC, or if it's in any other venture going forward, uh, I will keep track of it. And weekly, I'll sort of update where things stand on a $2 flat win bet, as well as across the board, win place and show. I recognize that that's probably something that will end up only making me look worse than if you kind of hide all the things. But I, at the end of the day, I I think you need to be real about these sort of things. And it was the same way with the football stuff. The football picks, it's difficult. I mean, there's a reason that it's so hard to hit at certain numbers. But for me, I, it's... Um, it's a challenge I'm definitely up for, and I, I, I think it's it's better to be totally transparent. That's why I've never been afraid to say either, yes, I was spot on with this one. It may sound like redboarding, but I will, I will take my pats on the back when I earn them, and I'll also be the first one to say that pick was god-awful. So, uh, yeah, I'll agree to do that going forward, um, and hopefully that answered your question in a relatively succinct way i can see this segment's a little bit long but uh thank you for the question sean and anyone else that left questions comments on the first show thank you but going forward uh whether you're watching on youtube leave it beneath the video player or just send them right over to me directly on twitter at bernier underscore matt that's going to button up episode two of the matt bernier show part of the in the money media network this is the show for february the 17th 2020 there's big races getting ready to go on the southwest stakes kicks off in a few hours now so uh, good luck if you're playing there uh, i won't be back to tvg for a few weeks it'll be the first week in march uh, so this show uh, i'll see you again next monday and until that point as always best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play